Every year in the NFL, it's a new team. As far as goals go, we have one. Putting a fucking ring on our finger. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Bay. Today is April 23rd, 2019, 7.49 p.m. The Bucks started voluntary mini camps today, so we've got a little smidge of information, just little nuggets that are coming out there in the Twitter. Scape Bruce Arians gave a press conference today. Very exciting. I love his press conferences. I do, too. It was, um, and he gave some good information, so... I'm actually, I go through Twitter and bookmark the stuff I want to talk about, so it's going to be really out of order. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and if you didn't notice, there's no fact checks or follow-ups in this one. Ralph forgot. I'm going to go with, uh, we didn't get anything wrong and there were no follow-ups, so. Okay. You tell yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Arians gave a press conference. He was asked about Gerald McCoy. Gerald McCoy was not there at voluntary minicamps today. He was asked whether he told Gerald McCoy not to show up. And Arian said, no, that isn't true. He said, I don't know who the hell said that. (laughs) They asked him about how practice went today. Your boy Vita Bay. Yeah, Vita. They had to tell him to slow down because he was trying to hit linemen. Yeah, Arian said that he was a... Pushing the lineman back into the quarterback. Yeah. Said it kind of reminded him of Halati Nada. Yes. Would push him back in the quarterback and punch him in the face. (laughs) You know what? I can think of Big Ben having a bloody nose one time, and I wonder if that was Halati Nada. Wouldn't surprise me. That division, though, it could have really been any of the teams. They actually ended practice five plays early because they all... We're doing so well. We're in sync. Arian said he didn't want anybody getting hurt with the heat. You know what you know, it was? Arians was ready to go have a drink. Probably. That's likely true. He said he was really pleased with the work ethic and um, everybody learning the system. He said he didn't see one false start even with a new hard count. Wow. So we've got nobody wants to be on that accountability list. There you go. That might be it. Yay, accountability list. An interesting tidbit. So somebody asked him what he thought, what he saw of the defense thus far. And he said, of course, we're getting film on the guys. He said, we're fine on the defensive front. We're pretty good there. The secondary, they still want to see the guys on tape to see who's going to go where. That really surprised me. That surprised me, too, especially given this draft class. He didn't completely eliminate the chance that we were going to draft somebody on the defensive line in the draft. Didn't he say something about before the draft, everybody lies, so if you tell the truth, (laughs) everybody thinks you're lying? Right, so any of this could be complete BS. B.A.'s BS. Right. You know, if they were telling the truth, we would still think that they're lying, so... He could tell the truth. Well, we're not going to know until Thursday is basically the point. Nobody knows. He did say there's six guys in the draft that he totally loves, which that's great news for us because we picked number five. So chances are good we're going to get one of them. I hope that's not smokescreen. Ah, man. You're making me question everything. <laughs> he said you don't draft for need. If you draft for need, you're getting fired. So we're taking the best person at the position. Maybe. 
there were a few guys not at practice today. Of course, it's voluntary. It's a voluntary minicamp. We are in phase two still. Phase two runs from April 15th to May, I think, 9th. And then the voluntary minicamp is three days in the middle of that. So this is the first day. Okay, so the people not attending today's voluntary minicamp was McCoy, JPP, Levante David, Donovan Smith, DeMar Dotson, and Kendall Beckwith wasn't here. Arians talked to those who didn't show up. A couple of them, he said, were excused because there were problems with pregnancies. JPP's pregnant, everybody. (laughs) A couple of them are expecting, apparently. Um, But they did talk to everybody wasn't there. Chris Godwin was there, but he didn't practice because he's got a tooth issue and couldn't put on his helmet. I wonder if it's those wisdom teeth. Yeah, I bet it is. It might be. Mine still hurt. I had them done in January. And I can't believe he had to leave his Hawaii vacation because of wisdom teeth. I mean, they hurt pretty bad, but I think I would suffer through to be in Hawaii. And you know what sucks? Well, I guess these guys can take painkillers. That was the only thing that touched my pain. I think they take a lot of painkillers, actually. Probably. Hmm. Oh, yeah, they get the good stuff. Probably horse tranquilizers and stuff. (laughs) Whatever killed Michael Jackson, they probably get. (laughs) But don't take that human growth hormone. No. Mm -mm. None of that. Arians was asked about the schedule. He wasn't real thrilled about it, obviously, but he said we play the schedule that we get. He did call the guys in New York and had a word about it. But what can you do? I mean, they can't change it now. They should, but they won't. Can't. I would have hated to have been on the other end of that phone call. I know, right? <laughs> I wonder how many F-bombs he dropped. Every other word, probably. Yeah. And then all the other words were probably stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Idiots. <laughs> there was no music today at practice. Interesting. Yeah. Jameis, they interviewed him. Super boring interview. Like, it's all coach speak. Every All the tidbits that I got were from Arian's interview. That's what I love about him. Yeah. You're going to get the little nuggets of... He's talking football. In a very colorful way. Yes. But Jameis, he's very versed in... Mm, Political speak? Or like, podium speak. Podium like, speak. You know, I don't even know. we got to come up with a term for it. I'm sure somebody has one. It's out there. We Probably. Just can't I'm going to Google it. it. That'll be a follow-up. <laughs> but he just, he is very positive about the team, and he does like playing football. And I think it's probably part of his personality, but you just don't get a whole lot of information out of it. Not a lot of substantive information. Well, I tell you, last year, towards the end of the season, there was, a, there was a, quite a few games. It was after he got benched and then brought back, where he was just like a robot up there. Yeah, he was real despondent. Yes, I hated that. It was like a sad robot. Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I just thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) Very few people are going to get that reference, I think. Good movie, too. It was. But yeah, he's back to his form and said practice was very business-like without the music. He commented on Bershad Perriman, our new receiver, said that he can fly. So it's a direct quote. Interesting. Yeah. So I like that. He's learning the new offense. Arian said that he he was getting to third and fourth reads and even his fifth reads pretty quickly today. Please, guy, let that be something they work on Jameis with. <laughs> See that field, Jameis. 
Well, it's easy to do when there's not a bunch of defensive linemen coming at you. Yes, that's the problem. He when just, Donovan Smith has taken his playoff. Yeah, when you know that those guys aren't going to be killing you. I guess it's easy to see the open receivers, but during live games, he's always got at least one defender coming at him. And that wasn't by design. What? To let the lineman through and chunk it down the field. No, actually, Cutter was really good with having protection there. He kept running backs in. He kept uh, tight ends chipping and all that good stuff. Arians doesn't do that. So, yeah, Jameis is really going to have to be on his P's and Q's. And this offensive line has got to step up this year. Arians is not a big believer in having a bunch of people back there protecting the quarterback. I think that's why he told Jameis to put on some extra weight. What do you call it? Armor? Yeah. Basically, not five pounds. Five pounds of muscle. Right. So those are pretty much the only nuggets we got from practice today. Just some good information. Yeah. I'm excited about the draft, even though we don't know any of these people. Yeah, we just like to get drunk and <laughs> hoot and holler and cheer for guys we don't know. And get the Buccaneers. Get some football. Yay, Devin White. We got Devin White. <laughs> Who's Devin White? We have no idea. <laughs> Go straight to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Start looking at clips. Um, well, this does kind of feel like the beginning of the season because after this, we know, generally speaking, what the roster is. They get some stragglers between now and the beginning of the season, but for the most part. Yeah, and we're going to find out. Your roster. We're going to find out who we're going to have to cut. To sign our rookies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have some definitive answers, I think, by either the end of this week or the beginning of next week. Yes. Yep. Exciting times. There's a Buccaneer fan, Casey Reynolds, um, that was granted a wish from Make-A-Wish, and they're announcing the first round pick of the 2019 draft for the Buccaneers, which is really exciting. Uh, Casey has Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they're doing the Make-A-Wish for the lifelong Bucks fan. All right. Well, we got a special guest coming on, Greg Allman from The Athletic, athletic.com. We're going to be talking with him and hear what he has to say. He's much more knowledgeable on the draft and... All things Bucks, basically. (laughs) (laughs) He's our source for information. Let's hear what Greg has to say. Well, it's good having you on, Greg. We appreciate the uh, the call. I just wanted to get Absolutely. the butt kissing out of the way. You you are our favorite reporter slash journalist slash beat writer. <laughs> it seems like all the guys down there have a uh, what would be the word a character about them. You know, some of them you're like they'd be fun to have a drink at a bar with or whatever, but you are like the teacher. I don't think I've ever read one of your articles where I haven't learned something. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I'd like to think still have a beer at a bar somewhere, but uh, no, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. I'll drink on with you. I was just down there a couple of weeks ago for a funeral. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was sad times. I wanted to hook up with some people down there. Didn't get a chance. I was going to call you and see if you wanted to get together, but it was just too short of a trip. Next time we're in Tampa, we'll buy you a beer. No, thank you. One thing I wanted to ask you real quick is, is there any way we can get the Buccaneers media to give you guys a mic? <laughs> yeah, you guys have asked that. It's funny. It's one of those things where we, uh, if you go to like NCAA events, they always have somebody that goes around with a mic and, and has it. So the, the main thing they're worried about is, does the person on the podium hear the question? And once once that's covered, um, that's kind of what they're caring about. So you hear that a lot because people watch the Bucks pressures uh, online or 
uh, on TV sometimes, and you'll hear, and if you don't hear the question, the coach just goes, uh, oh, absolutely, you're completely right, I couldn't agree more. Yes. You guys have no idea what we're asking. So they hear what we're saying, but obviously it'd be nice if you guys did too. Whether it's one of those you can put one mic kind of in the back of the room sometimes that picks it up. There's not usually more than about uh, 15 people in the room, so it wouldn't be crazy just to have a mic you could pass around. But uh, I think it's just a simplicity thing that they only have the mic on the, on the podium right now. But I hear that a lot, and I, I pass it along when I hear it. So they, they're aware of it. They just, I guess they don't care that much about it. <laughs> Yeah, Molly had got after him. Was it last year? Yeah, it was last season. Was it Brian Ford you talked with? No, no. I think I just tweeted the Bucks communication people. Okay. Oh, really? And did yeah, it fun? Yeah, they, uh, it seemed like y'all had a mic for a while. We could hear everybody. And the big thing with us, we like to know who asked the questions. Oh, and, right. Sure. Yeah, and just most of the time we can't identify anybody. It was like, right. uh, I think it was last week, somebody asked... Uh, Jason like about McCoy not coming to voluntary practice. Right. And they said that Arians had called McCoy and told him not to come. Yes, Rick Rick Stroud asked that question. Rick, uh, I can give you the I can give you the yeah. Stroud, Stroud said Stroud said that Arians had told McCoy that. And I think all like kind of said was that that's a better question for Bruce. And then today actually, uh somebody asked Bruce today. And he said, no, he never told McCoy that. He said that they have open arms. It's totally his decision if he wants to be here. Uh, they'd love to have him, that kind of thing. So that not everything is lining up real well with that. But, uh, yeah, it's funny because you'll, if the Bucks do one of those big pressers, like a hire a head coach or a ring of honor type presser, they do it in their main auditorium, which is a much bigger, it's kind of where the team can meet as a whole and watch film. And when they do that, they usually have like two staffers with a mic that go around. So then you definitely hear the mic and they'll even ask you to introduce yourself before the question. But for the normal run of the mill, post practice, daily access type stuff, we, we never get that for that. So you, you guys are left kind of wondering who asked that or whose dumb question was that. <laughs> yeah. We had talked to one of the Joes and they, they didn't know who it was. No, no, they did know who it was, but they wouldn't answer us because of, Apparently, they don't get along oh, with Rick too much. They wouldn't so. want to upset someone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, what they said about him wasn't really nice. They were just kind of like, well, it's a guy we don't like, basically. <laughs> so. <laughs> so do you think that McCoy's coming back this season? I really don't. It's one of those where this, this has been kind of an awkward three months of limbo for him. Um, and, and it's kind of like with every action and every comment it seems more and more likely that he they wouldn't act the way they are and they wouldn't treat him the way they are if, if he was part of their plans and part of his team moving forward so i really think in a short amount of time here he's either going to get traded or he's going to get cut um and it's unfortunate i don't know that he deserves this as the ending he has uh, much like john lynch didn't really deserve to go out the way he did or Derek brooks mm -hmm. uh, this this franchise doesn't do a really good job of of saying goodbye to their best players. Um, no, they do not. It's hard because if they feel like they're still playing, obviously, I think McCoy was definitely in a position where he would have liked to have played his entire career here. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, technically, he still could. But um, for him, I mean, he's never missed voluntary workouts before. And then for, you know, I think then they kind of had that weird limbo where they started saying, if Gerald is here, um, and, and they're in complete control as to whether Gerald's here or not. Gerald's never expressed anything other than the desire to play here and play out his contract here. Um, so then in Arizona for Arians to kind of say, you know, we got to watch him. We got to look at him. Uh, we got to see if it's still there, if the enthusiasm is there. Uh, he's not 
you know, the guy he was four years ago. And I think Gerald will tell you he probably isn't playing as well as he did four years ago. But mm-hmm. I, I, there's probably a lot of guys that you could say that about that they aren't saying that about. So it's it's curious the way it's gone down um, and, and kind of for both parties, you just kind of wanted to reach some kind of fruition where they can move on. Uh, it's just a matter of them getting some kind of draft competition for them so they're not cutting them outright. Uh, I think the draft will probably be where that comes to a head here in the next three or four days. Yes, I think it would be absolutely horrible if we just cut him. You know, not get a little something for him. Yeah, I mean, if it's framed as, you know, if they, if they're able to add a a Clinton Williams or an Ed Oliver and you say, wow, we have a chance to get a talented new defensive tackle, um, Mm -hmm. you only hope he can have the career that Gerald McCoy had. And oh, by the way, Gerald McCoy is going to the Seahawks for a (laughs) sixth round draft pick. At least it's in the context of, hey, out with the old, in with the new. It's been a great run for you, Gerald, that kind of stuff. because if they were going to cut him, they could have cut him, you know, before free agency when he would have been in a position to get more money because all the teams in the NFL had a lot more money. Yes. Um, yeah, this isn't usually the way you do it, but they're, I think they're just kind of trying to see what they can get for him and hoping there'll be a demand for his services to justify taking on that contract more than what they've found so far. Mm-hmm. Has there been any interest? I don't know. I mean, if there, if there was anything of consequence, I think they would have taken it at this point. So I have to think right now it's just some kind of pick swap. You know, you think about Deshaun Jackson again with Deshaun, who probably was more deserving of criticism and the way things went down for him. That's they a polite way of saying ridiculous. It. Yeah. I mean, they were ridiculously positive about Deshaun. Talked about how excited they were and what a great conversation they were having and how much they were looking forward to having him. And that really felt just like trying to prop things up to justify some kind of trade value. And again, to their credit, they did well. They got a pick swap in Philadelphia. Um, and Philadelphia, you know, kind of took on a, a lesser contract. He agreed to do something less. So whether McCoy would do the same thing, um, if, if they get to the point where it's like, hey, Gerald, you know, we can send you to this desirable team if you're willing to take uh, $10 million a year instead of 13 or something like that. We don't know how this is going to shake out, but you would think he could help himself uh, get to a place he wants to be. It's, it's kind of like a happy medium between getting traded and having no say in it and free agency where you have all the say in it. Mm-hmm. You kind of go halfway in between and you negotiate a lesser salary in exchange for, yeah, I would like to play for that team. I mean, Gerald's been in the year, in the league nine years. He's never had a playoff game. So obviously he's been, if he's going to go somewhere, he wants to go somewhere where he has a chance to experience the things he wasn't able to here in Tampa. Yes. And given the difference between how they handle the Deshaun Jackson trade versus how they're handling the McCoy situation, it made me think maybe they're trying to pressure him to restructure. Do you think that that's a possibility? Yeah, it could be that that's kind of odd for me because to me, if you're trying to get somebody to take a pay cut, um, a reasonable pay cut, I guess, the last thing you would do is insult him or right. say, you know, say, hey, he's not the guy he was four years ago and we're not sure if the enthusiasm is still there and, you know, I got to evaluate him. You know, you get to a certain age and the production isn't always there. That, that's knocking somebody down. That's not mm-hmm. something you do if you're trying to enter in a negotiation. Um, so, so that that makes me think there's probably not a price that they want him back at, that they probably have decided they just need to move on. Um, and that might be a culture thing. They might feel like they have to make some kind of change. Um, and as much as he's been a central part of the Bucks for the last nine years, that's the central part of a team that hasn't won very much. So maybe yes. they feel like they have to make a, a fundamental central change uh, to the leadership in the room to, to get the change they want. Um, and that's, that's probably not the best reflection on Gerald, but it's kind of where they are. Yes, that's what I'm leaning to towards as well, because Arian seems to have this need for veteran leadership that's very vocal and 
that just doesn't seem to be McCoy's style. I mean, he's even talked about it and everything. So I'm of the opinion that Aaron's is just wanting to move on from McCoy. Yeah, and it's strange because the Bucks, there's definitely, they've taken a step back in terms of energy and leadership and vocal leadership. I mean, you lose Quan Alexander, he was absolutely hmm. the energy center of this team. He, yes. he was the most fire him up, passionate, get guys fired up here in the game. So the leaders they have now, uh, at least the ones we think they'll have now, you know, you think about Winston, you think about Levante, um, even Pierre Paul, they're not really rah-rah guys. They're right. like example guys. So um, it, it'll be interesting because there's kind of a void there. Um, and in free agency, none of the guys they brought in their free agency are necessarily prominent enough to step in as leaders. You know, sometimes you can add like a Mankins or you can add a Pierre Paul, mm-hmm. um, somebody that's been around, won Super Bowls, that kind of thing. They didn't really do that. They've added mostly role players so far. So they're going to have to have some of these younger guys, um, maybe guys like Ali Marpet and Donovan Smith, um, that are just now becoming the veterans in the room to step up in the leadership role. With the draft coming up, so we pay absolutely no attention to college football at all. (laughs) (laughs) The NFL just consumes our life. Um, So explain, like we're five, this upcoming draft class. Yeah, it's a a good draft class. I mean, the Bucks are sitting in a pretty nice position at number five. Uh, I think what most people feel the strength of the draft is, is the defensive line. Um, And then that could be, you know, six of the top ten players, seven of the top ten players. Um, the, the wild card in this is quarterbacks, because in the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, you kind of do anything you can to find a quarterback. So mm-hmm. because of that, the, the wild cards in the top five are, are the quarterbacks. And whether Kyler Murray from Oklahoma goes number one to Arizona or goes to Oakland or goes somewhere else, another team trades up. Uh, and then Dwayne Haskins is from Ohio State is the other guy that's probably the most viable quarterback that could go in the top, whatever, four or six picks. Uh, but the strength of the draft really is defensive line. Um, there's generally three players that everybody's completely gaga about in this draft class. Um, it's a, a defensive end named Nick Bosa from Ohio State, whose brother Joey's in the league and doing very well. Uh, again, in Quinn Williams, who's more of a D tackle from Alabama. Um, and again, in Josh Allen, who's more of an, uh, a smaller outside pass rusher, maybe even like a three, four outside linebacker from Kentucky. So those three are generally seen as the best D-line in the draft. Um, there's a kid from Houston named Ed Oliver, who's another more versatile, but probably a D-tackle. Um, and he would be right there in the conversation, too. There's a lot of second-tier guys um, that people are still excited about as potential top ten picks. But those are kind of the main ones. So when you think about the Bucks at five, uh, the question is whether one of those top three D linemen fall to them, which probably means you'd need to have two quarterbacks go in the top four picks. Um, and if they're not there, then the Bucks are choosing between uh, a lesser defensive lineman, again, maybe an Ed Oliver. Um, there's guys like Montez Sweat and Brian Burns, Rashawn Gary and others, or whether they take a linebacker, an inside linebacker. Um, and traditionally, off-ball linebackers, middle linebackers, don't go that high in the draft. Um, it's been rare since they go... You know, even in the top 10 last year, one went eight to Chicago, but they don't usually go that high. Number five would be the highest in, in almost 20 years that an inside linebacker went. Uh, this kid named Devin Smith from LSU, who very much fits apart. As exciting a linebacker as the draft has seen in, in a long time. Uh, good size, good speed, um, very much a vocal leader. Uh, reminds you a little bit of Quan in terms of his uh, passion and, and how um, outgoing he is as a young leader. So he would definitely add something here. The only real hesitation you have is just whether or not you want to use a number five overall pick on a middle linebacker. Um, so it's very possible if those top three D linemen are gone, 
uh, that the Bucks bring him in and have him as, as kind of a new center and a rookie leader in the middle of this new defense for Todd Bowles. You got any guesses on who the Bucks take? Yeah, you know, it's still so tough because you don't know what's going on in front of them. Um, my guess right now is if I had to pick the most likely scenario, it's probably that only one quarterback goes in the top four and that those other three defensive linemen do go in the top four. And the Bucks are left to choose between drafting uh, like a linebacker like Devin White or trading down. So the most likely scenario for me right now is still them trading down just a few picks, maybe to eight, maybe to ten, something like that. Um, so if I were to guess, I would say they trade down three to five picks and still get either Devin White or Devin Bush, who's a linebacker from Michigan. That would be what I picked right now, is a trade down, pick up a second rounder, a third rounder, and still get a linebacker they're excited about, uh, maybe around number 10 or number 12 right in there. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about trading down is it takes so long to get there, I'm usually pretty drunk. You've got to wait like an hour, yeah. You think you can make it till they're on the clock, and then they're not on the clock. Yeah, I can see where that'd be trouble. You had mentioned that was Rick Stroud that brought up the question on uh, whether McCoy had been called by Arians. Uh-huh. What do you think? What do you make of Rick Stroud's article uh, about a month ago where he said that McCoy was definitely staying with the Buccaneers? Yeah, I mean that was definitely much earlier than that. That was, that was two or three months earlier. Okay, and I think you know, I mean, again, like a lot of things, um, you know, I think things are written that are, are kind of sourced stories. Um, and I think for whatever reason, someone wanted it out there that McCoy was going to be staying with the team. Um, to some extent, to hear these guys talk about players in the present tense, I think sometimes you do that to try and create a trade market where there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Um, in that if the presumption around the league is that Gerald McCoy is going to get cut, you don't have to worry about trading to pick up Gerald McCoy at $13 million. He might only fetch 10 or $11 million a year on the open market. Right. And now you can get him at no cost in terms of draft picks at a salary you, you think is what his value is. So if if they want to perpetuate the idea that McCoy is, in fact, going to stay on the roster, the only way to get him is by trading for him. That's how you do that. So there was definitely a perception for some time, going back to late February, early March, where that story in the Times had everyone thinking, okay, well, McCoy's going to be back. I guess they figure out some other way to free up the cap space. I guess they feel like he's still worth it and can coexist in a, in a new defense. Um, so that's what it's going to be. And then, for whatever reason, it reverted back to Gerald's in trouble. Gerald's roster spot is very much in danger. They really didn't make the other moves they needed to make to financially be able to keep him on the roster. I mean, as it stands right now, they'd have to make major cuts just to sign their draft picks. I mean, they they have salary cap room right now, but you need about $9 million to just sign your rookies to sign your draft picks. So yes. they have to make some moves to create that. There's other things they could do. They could rejigger some contracts and move salary to bonus money. And that's not usually what the Bucks do. They don't like kind of mortgaging the future to pay for this year. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless they did something weird like trade away Camp Braid, which seems unlikely, um, I think they're going to either have to cut or, or trade General McCoy. Um, and it's been awkward how it's gotten there since the end of the season. At the end of the year, Gerald sounded like someone who knew he was done, um, who was very sad about the idea that his Bucks career was over was talking about his time with the Bucks in the past tense, which is yeah. a weird thing to do unless you really know, oh, wow, this is probably it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gerald was fairly emotional about that. So that's, that's where my understanding of things starts is the fact that he, he finished that with a sadness that you don't always have at the end of the season. Um, and then that's kind of where it started for me. Yeah. I want to bring it to the, uh, the Buccaneer fans and the culture 
down there. Uh, in your latest Q&A at the Atlantic, uh, you chided a fan for saying that they would not attend any more home games until the Bucks started winning. You replied, you said, uh, they need success to pull in casual fans, but having a better home field advantage in the stands would help generate that success. Could you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, there's always a, a little of the chicken and the egg thing there because um, they they want to have the, the advantage in the stand and the home field, you know, having two-thirds of the stadium be your fans cheering for you. But to, to get that, to deserve that, you have to win. Um, so you have to win to bring in those casual fans that take you from 50,000 fans to 60,000 fans and put 10,000 of your fans in the seats. So, like, right now, uh, fans are upset. Like, the Giants game is one of the home games this year, and the Bucks have set that aside as a premium game, which means the tickets start at $70 instead of 40 Right. Um, and the Bucks are doing that because it's like, well, if we're going to have a stadium full of Giants fans, we're going to make them pay for it, basically. Um, and the casual fans, the, the Bucks fans that still want season tickets, you can get season tickets as cheap as whatever, $30 a seat or something like that. Um, so it, it's kind of a concession that like, wow, the fact that the Giants are going to take over the stadium is inevitable. The least we can do is make them pay for it and help build some revenue for the team. Um, and that's kind of what it's going to be until they start winning consistently. Um, the casual fan is going to be okay watching at home and, yeah. you know, watching from a bar and, and not feeling like they have to show up because you don't want to show up to watch the team consistently lose. So it, it's a putting the cart, heart, the cart before the horse kind of thing, but they, they have to get themselves to at least be seen as a winner before they're going to really draw in the stands like a winner. Yeah, when I read your response to that, I about stood up and clapped because I'm a huge believer in uh, the 12th man. You know, I think that fans have yeah. responsibility. And, you know, you can't be a fair weather fan and say, well, I'm only going to go to, you know, right. winning teams. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You got to support them when they're down, too. Right. I mean, the Rays are doing the same thing. The Rays have the best record in baseball, and they come home, and they've been gone for 10 days, and they get 9,000 fans. So <laughs> it's disheartening, and you worry about the team's future. I, I don't worry about the Bucks' future so much. I think they're going to be here. Yeah. But we could see this with the Lightning. The Lightning have had, whatever, 200 straight sellouts, but... All of a sudden, they put a bitter taste in fans' mouths to where next year, even when they're good, I think there's going to be some fans that are like, well, they were really good last year. They lost the first round of the playoffs, got swept. Yeah, so I'll be curious tough. to see if they can sustain that 20,000, 19,000 crowds at home when they've actually disappointed fans for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a hard thing to get through, and the only way you can do it is, is really by by winning on a consistent basis. Yes. Uh, in one of your most recent articles at The Atlantic, you spoke with Jerry Angelo. Yeah, he used to be the Bucks yeah. director of player personnel back in the, the iconic 1989. Great article, by the way. No, thanks. Uh, appreciate it. But then what stood out to me was him comparing the culture of the Bucks back then to now. He said, we're very much a dysfunctional program at the time. We had a lot of attrition, didn't have any kind of real stability. Our atmosphere was similar to what the Bucks are going through now. But then he said, we did not have a good culture. I, it seems like that's been an issue ever since uh, Gruden. The culture just does not seem to be growing and getting strong. Yeah, Do you think and there's any truth true. And again, they've they've tried to change things. I mean, they, they've had four coaches in the last ten years. Um, <laughs> toward, they clearly tried to restart things and reset things. Um, they've gone with a hardliner. They've gone with a players' coach. They've gone defense. They've gone offense. They've gone young. They've gone old. Um, and they haven't found it. Um, yes. And this transcends multiple GMs. This transcends multiple franchise players coming and going. Um, so, no, I, I'm glad you picked up on what Jerry said, and I was a little surprised by what Jerry said, just to take a little bit of a shot at where they are right now. Um, I, I think they're hopeful to get out of that. And the problem is, I mean, they almost did. Um, you go back to 16, and they go 9-7. and seven. 
um, they're certainly that right on the cusp of the playoffs. And you can yeah. tell if literally, I mean, they, they could have gotten in the playoffs at nine and seven. They just won one game differently that year. And if you get there and all of a sudden the expectations to playoffs and, and there's no more talk about how long it's been since they've been in the playoffs, it, it changes things. And now there's an excitement in the summer. And if you go to the playoffs, there's that expectation that you're going to come back and be a playoff team again. And again, that turns into attendance, that turns into excitement from fans. There's more people wearing bucks gear around town, and they just miss that. And then yes. instead of 9 and 7, all of a sudden you're 5 and 11, and then you're 5 and 11 again. And they're back in that, just that vortex of mediocrity that they can get into. It's really hard to get out of. So uh, they're hopeful that Bruce Arians can do here what he did in Arizona, taking a team that I think had like three playoff wins in their existence and taking them to three straight 10 win seasons. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's definitely a, uh, a mountain that's, that's been kind of insurmountable for the last four guys that got the job. Yes. So it's a big challenge for him, but they're hopeful he can be the guy to do what, what the last ones could. Now, I'm actually pretty surprised that the fan base is not as excited about Arians as I think they should be. Uh, Tampa's a laid-back party town. I mean, that's the atmosphere down there. Do you think that the culture of Tampa, the town itself, affects the Buccaneers any? The players? I mean, it's, I mean, I definitely think there's there's not the traditional generational fan base that you have in Chicago or Pittsburgh or even like Buffalo mm-hmm. where Green Bay, where you go to games because your dad went to games and your grandfather went to games. You're starting to get that. There's there's certainly generations of fans here, but not um, at the built-in foundational level that so many NFL cities have. So unfortunately, with, with the Bucks are synonymous in their 42 years is, is losing and not winning. And there's been certainly these, these nice lapses of, real sustained success like you had in the late 70s, um, like you had under Dungy and for a bit there under Gruden. But for the most part, it, it's it, they've been a punchline as a franchise. So it's hard that way. Um, you know, I think people that come to Tampa, there's lots of good reasons to come to Tampa, but it's not for the traditional success on the field that other teams can, can certainly point to. Um, and it's cyclical. I think all teams kind of come and go that way. But uh, but it's something that Tampa has to overcome. Um, it, nobody goes to Tampa uh, excited about the team's history and their grand tradition. Um, they have a Super Bowl ring. That's more than, than some franchises can certainly say, but but not the tradition of success that you want to have in, in your history as a program. This is so funny. I'm, I'm going to have to start wondering about where I'm getting all my thoughts from because you're saying pretty much everything I always say, and I'm thinking – have I been reading Greg so much that I'm thinking the way he does? <laughs> these aren't necessarily original thoughts. It's all right. There's, there's lots of people that have been saying these things for a long time, but I, I hear what you're saying. Now, you, you weren't covering the Bucks at the time, but do you have any scoop on what happened in 2011 to cause a team to implode? Because no. I've talked to quite a few people about this, and the closest I've got was that there was a disagreement, almost a fight on the plane trip to London to play Chicago between the players and the assistants. And that's pretty much all I've got. But it was one of the yeah, biggest. I mean, I, I, like you said, I went on the beat until 13, so I can't really speak to it too much. I, I do think there was a general um, lack of discipline on this team under Raheem. I think having a coach is as young as he was. Um, it's good to have a player's coach. It's good to have relatability and likability in a head coach. But I think you can have that to a vice sometimes, and that's probably something those teams had. Um, some of the personalities that you let come in in terms of guys like Talib and stuff like that um, are, aren't good for the, the discipline of things. And I do think things got a little out of control. Um, yes. So you do that, and you bounce back with a stern, strict disciplinarian in Greg Schiano mm-hmm. and probably go too far in that direction. So 
there's this reactionary nature to, to hiring coaches where you kind of get the opposite of what went wrong before, and you can kind of just oscillate between offense and defense and old and young and stern and loose, and, and none of it, like I said, unfortunately has clicked. Um, but no, uh, 11 was a downtime, and it took a while to get things back from there. Um, I think they're in a different place as a franchise now, but by record, it, it's not going to be substantially better than it was eight years ago. Hmm. Well, Greg, we appreciate your time. Well, we used to love your Can of Fodder podcast. Uh, do you plan on doing anything with that anymore? Or yeah, we will. It's like the Athletic just just jumped into the podcast game here yeah, in the last month that. or so and, and launched like twenty seven podcasts. Um, and they're starting kind of in their bigger markets. Um, I do think eventually we'll get to that. Hmm. Um, I did. I enjoyed doing Can of Fodder. I enjoyed when we had the Lock Up Bucks. I did in sixteen before that. But I've been kind of podless for more than a year now, which is, which is weird. <laughs> Um, it's fun to be able to do stuff like this and, and guess with you guys and other pods where I'm on. But it is, it, it's definitely something that's a, a hole in my day, at least during the season, from what you're used to having where you, you get on and you're talking ideally with somebody else for, for at least 20 minutes or so. Uh, so no, I'd like to think it'll be there, uh, maybe even this fall, but they're still kind of working at the plans. They want to make sure when they do it, they, they do it right and have a good audience for it and everything. Well, fantastic. Greg, before we let you go, uh, anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Yeah, just the usual stuff. It's, it's The Athletic. It's theathletic.com. Um, usually you can get a good deal on a subscription online. Usually I think right now it's about 40% off. So instead of paying 60 a year, you're paying like $36 for a year. They get a free trial. Uh, I'm on Twitter at my name, Greg Allman, G-R-E-G-A-U-M-A-N. And that should do it. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. Enjoy the podcast and enjoy talking to you guys tonight. All righty, Greg. Anytime, buddy. Thanks, Greg. Y'all take care. Oh. See you. Take care. If you get a chance... Go to theathletic.com and check out Greg Allman's articles. One of the best in the business, if you ask me. It's well worth the subscription price. As Greg said, they have specials going on all the time. Right now, I think they're at a 40% discount. So it's a good time to hop on board. They're going to be doing podcasts, as Greg said, hopefully. Uh, I'd like to see him get back into the, what did he call it? The he said, he said he was podless, yeah. I'd like to see Greg get back into the pod <laughs> so he's not podless anymore. But that's going to wrap it up for us. The draft is Thursday starting at, at 8 p.m., so be sure to check that out. Uh, PewterReport.com is going to have the live broadcast from one Buccaneer place. They're going to be doing it all three days of the draft. So if you want to check that out, go to pewterreport.com and we will have our next podcast out Friday talking about how awesome the Buccaneers are and how great they did in the first round but until then no risk and no biscuit